Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner. I am the author of the books The Other Side of Nothing, Hardcore Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Don't Be a Jerk, Zen Wrapped in Karma, Dipped in Chocolate, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. You can support this podcast by going to the URL hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main and usually only means of support, so I really appreciate your donations. But as always, this podcast is offered for free, so you don't got to support me if you don't want to support me. Today's episode is called God is Closer Than Your Jugular Vein, and it was recorded on September 27th, 2017 at Benedictushof, which is a Benedictine monastery that has been converted into a Zen and meditation center, and I do events at Benedictushof uh, just about every year. And this recording is a conversation with a man named Ingo Talib Rashid. And Ingo Talib Rashid does a lot of different events at Benedictushof, and I've encountered him several times over the years there. And here's what his bio on Wikipedia says. Uh, Ingo Talib Rashid was born 2nd of May 1963. He is the sheikh of the Tariq Nakshibandi Rashidia, uh, director and choreographer and founder of El Hadawi. He was born in Iraq, and I know him as a teacher of Sufism. So that's mainly what we talk about in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So uh, here we go with the conversation between me and Ingo Talib Rashid. In Arabic, we say, Assalamu alaikum. Welcome very much. Um, a couple of years ago, I've heard that Brad would come to teach you at Benedictushof. And by coincidence, I came across of one or two of his books. I found it quite interesting. And also, biographically, there are some similarities. Like Both of us have spent a couple of years in Japan bred more than me, also his Japanese developed better than mine, I guess. Eleven years, so yeah. you have to. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, I checked in the web material and I found in YouTube a video of, of Brad giving a talk about Buddhism, I think it was about God and Buddhism, yeah. dressed in a spacesuit oh, with right, rabbit yeah. ears. <laughs> The funny costume, yeah. Yeah, and when I saw that, I knew, oh, I would like to get to meet this gentleman. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very glad you came together to visit our place. And we'll try to have an informal discussion. Yeah, I brought cookies. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess um, the only plan we had was to sit and try to talk about God for a while and see where that goes. Of course, it could go any direction. God only knows where it's going to go. Um, I'll start off, maybe, and this will lead somewhere, I don't know. Um, 
Not not too long ago, I was watching television, or not, no, not even television, it was YouTube, like going on YouTube late at night, just looking at stupid things. And I came across this video, I wish I could tell you exactly the title or something. And the, the title of the video was something like, Is the Ocean a Living Creature? And I thought, okay, that sounds weird. I'll, I'll watch this video in which they are going to answer the question, is the ocean a living creature? Um, and I can't remember exactly the, the chain of logic that the video used, but it was, it was well made with nice graphics and things. So it wasn't just some guy you know, sitting there talking. It was kind of well made. And they put some thought into it. But they were saying <coughs> how the ocean resembles a living creature and how maybe the, the ocean itself can be said to be alive <coughs> in, some, in some capacity. And all of the creatures living in the ocean, whales and dolphins and fish and octopuses and things, uh, would be part of that living creature, kind of like organs within it. And... and they, they made a kind of a uh, argument that the ocean might be said to be conscious of itself as, as, a, as a single entity. I really wish I could remember exactly how they justified that, but they, you know, it made sense in the context of the video. And at the end of the video, I thought, well, why stop there? <laughs> because everything that lives in the, on, on the surface of of our planet uh, is evolved from something that once lived in the ocean, all of us are, and uh, the plants, as far as I know, also started off in the ocean. So if the ocean is a living creature, then we must be also part of that living creature, and then you could just extend it to the planet, and you could extend it to the solar system, and you could go on and on. I thought, well, you guys are unimaginative, you know, you think you're pretty imaginative coming up with this idea of the ocean being a living creature, but you didn't, you could, you could just take that all the way, why not? If you're going to start that way. But it was a little bit uh, like something my teacher said, and those of you who were in my seminar watched the videos this morning where my teacher Nishijima Roshi talks about God, and he talks about how when he was a young person, he was very interested in this idea of God, which is interesting for a Japanese person because Japanese culture doesn't really have that idea of God in the, in the, in the sense that, that Western culture has. So, they, uh, so it was a kind of a new idea. Uh, Nishijima Roshi was born in 1912 in the Meiji Restoration in which Japan opened itself to the outside world happened in 1868, so, you know, not, not too long before he was born, uh, Japanese people didn't know anything about the outside world, and, uh, and now it was a new thing. So, he said he chose to maintain his belief in God, that's what he said in this video. Uh, but then, as he studied Buddhism, he thought, well, God can't exist outside of the universe. So, if we want to believe in God, then the universe has to be a God, like the sum 
the, if you take the universe as a total whole, you could call that uh, God, and it's it's the the same thing. So that's my opening. <laughs> Let's see if that goes anywhere. All right. So we are, or I'm, I have an Iraqi descendancy, and I was born into a mystical tradition, which in Arabic language is called Tasawwuf, which, which means getting to the point, can also mean meditation. Uh, it's known in the Western world as Sufi tradition. Uh, nowadays it's very much related to Islam, the religion of Islam. However, we do believe that Sufism is older, had in Islam a crystallization point uh, in the person of the Prophet Muhammad, the founder of the religion of Islam, and spread from there again. The Arabic name for, for God is Allah. It has no, no male and no female connotation. So that's why I prefer, if I don't say Allah, I prefer not to say God, but the divine. To me, it seems a bit more neutral because the word God is very strong. In the Abrahamic traditions, the Judeo-Christian Islamic traditions, God is something like some strong big guy sitting up there and uh, punishing you if you yeah. don't obey. Something like this. Some big Stalin. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting to, just an interesting side note. There's the island of Malta in the Mediterranean. It's an independent republic. They're extremely Catholic, but their language is a Semitic language. So in the Catholic Church, they talk about Allah. Yeah, yeah. Just to, to give a bit of neutral taste to the, to the word Allah. In the Quran, in the holy book of Islam, there's an interest, interesting reference to the divine. In the second chapter, it said, the divine is closer you, to you than your jugular vein. Your jugular vein. Halsschlagader. Das Göttliche ist dir näher als deine Halsschlagader. And I found that interesting. It's, it's like the divine is not something out there. But it's something that goes through us. It's within us, around us, in us, above, down. There's an interesting Jewish Hasidic song. It says, nur du, nur du, nur du oben, nur du unten, nur du vorne, nur, nur du hinten. Just you, just you, just mm. you up, just you down, just you in the front, just you in the back. So I can see that idea that the universe is a reflection of the divine. It's, it's not separated. The, the divine is not somewhere out there. But it moves through us. It's within us. It's just there. So that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah. You compared God to Stalin. And I remembered somebody sent me an email recently uh, talking about Santa God. <laughs> he, he was talking about he lives in the 
one of the southern states in, in the U.S., and he says, the people around here believe in Santa God. And I, 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 thought, I thought that's interesting, because I guess that belief in that kind of God still does persist. Often, um, the, these writers are probably not so popular, maybe they are, outside of the English-speaking world, but there's, there was a kind of a movement in, uh, for a kind of new atheism and became very popular in the U.S., uh, still is, but uh, maybe about ten years ago it was really big. Uh, Richard Dawkins was one of the writers, and Christopher Hitchens, who passed away. Uh, Sam Harris was another one. Uh, there was a lot of these people writing. And I, and I read a bunch of those books, and I was uh, really disappointed, <laughs> because I wanted to, to read their rational refutation of God, and see if it had any, any relevance to me. But they were only talking about Santa God, or... Stalin God, mm. and they were denying the existence of, of Santa God or Stalin God, but uh, they didn't get into the kind of God that you're talking about or the kind of God that my teacher was talking about. As a matter of fact, one of those authors, Sam Harris, has recently said, well, if you call God uh, something that exists within the universe and is intelligent and, and has, a, uh, has a connection to all of us, then well, then I do believe in God. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought that was quite interesting. I'm curious about the... Uh, every... every um, it seems like almost every religion has a mystical tradition. And, like, yeah. and, and uh, you talked about the Sufi, or what was the proper name for it? Tasawuf. Tasawuf. I should be able to remember that, because Tassahara is a monastery in... Uh, in America, Zen monastery, and then Woof is like a dog. So I just I have to think of a dog. Maybe I can remember it that way. I don't mean to be insulting. It's, it's okay. just a way no to problem. remember it. Um, but so 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 you have that, and and as you said, and I remember we discussed this before. It it uh, probably predates Islam itself, and then in the Christian tradition, of course, there's the contemplative tradition of which I think this monastery was part at one time historically uh, of that Christian contemplative tradition. And sometimes when you read the Christian contemplatives, they sound almost like Buddhists. Hmm. They don't sound really like Christians anymore. Some of those people like St. John of the Cross or there was one who called himself Dionysus, but apparently he wasn't the real Dionysus, so they call him Pseudo-Dionysus. I think he's responsible for a book called The Cloud of Unknowing. I may be getting this wrong. And then there, there was another uh, Scottish uh, na man named Er, er Eugenia, John Er, <laughs> er Anyway, they sound like Buddhists almost. But the Buddhists, the Buddhist, I always tell people, I think the Buddhist mis mystical tradition is, uh, the Zen tradition is, is quite um, similar, although all of Buddhism kind of shares that uh, to some extent. Um, so how is it related? How, 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 how do people relate Islam to this mystical tradition, or do they uh, relate it? 
Okay, it, it seems like, as also in other religions, there's like a kind of tension between orthodoxy and mysticism. Because uh, the mystical experience or mystical reflection, the experience of it seems to lead to a certain liberation from cultural contexts, society contexts, contexts. It changes your thinking maybe to a more free thinking. And orthodoxy <laughs> tries to give rules to your thinking, to, to adapt yourself to a specific way and a specific claim to power. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, it's a bit complex. Uh, for example, in Is Islam you have the five ritual prayers. They're complicated, you have to recite certain things, you have to do prostrations, uh, given amount of prostrations. So if you learn it correctly and do it correctly, it can, it can take quite a part of your day. In the Middle East, to practice it, it's more easy because the life there is geared towards it. You, even if you're working in an office, you can attend the prayer times. So, on one side, just to follow the, the orthodox practice, like externally, mechanically, to me, sometimes it seems it leads nowhere. People are praying and then you go <coughs> to, to do some business with them and they cheat you. So. On the other side, uh, sometimes I follow this routine, not always, mm -hmm. but sometimes I do follow this routine. I do it much slower than most people, and I f try to fill the form with the feeling. And then for me, it's very refreshing. Mm. It's very deep, very deep practice. It makes me cry sometimes. Just to be in the practice, I, I feel I cry, but not of sadness. It's a very good, good feeling. So, orthodox rules sometimes can help you to connect to the divine and sometimes can be a trap to, to make your practice mechanical. So, outside you look like a believer or practitioner, but uh, what you're doing is maybe not exactly constructive, as we see, for example, with, with the IS, Islamic State, the Al-Daesh. Al mm -hmm which is a very extreme uh, manifestation of Islamic faith. Yeah. Within Sufism, it seems like there exist two streams of belief. One stream sticks more to this very personal Abrahamic God, who's out there, commands the world. And another stream, which I believe is the more, more close to the original, it's the more mystical stream, sees the divine as something that it's like a web in the universe, it's inside of us, it's just everywhere. There's a nice poem by Rumi, the founder of the Medlevi tradition. Uh, I will not give the poem correctly, but roughly. Uh, I was looking for you in the churches of the Christians. I was looking for you in the temples of the Buddhists. I was looking for you in the synagogues of the Jews. I was looking for you in Mecca, in the Kaaba, 
It's the most holy place of Islam. But I couldn't find you. Everything was empty. Then I was looking deep inside to myself and I found you. So. It's interesting. There's a lot of things <laughs> there. Um. Hmm? Oh, yes. Um, I want to say we are here in a place from the foundation of Wilkis Jäger and that's the point what he did and I like when he brought all the stuff together and but Sufi tradition and all Christian tradition like Meister Eckhart and the Buddhistic sources. There are a lot of similarities very near together, so it's, uh, it's a, a clear point here at the house. Right? There's no big difference between uh, the Sufis and Christian, all Christian. That's the one thing uh, I want to say. But the other, my other problem is this rush is. I think when we, we, we discuss about the topic, we, we need a, have a definition. <laughs> and when we speak about God, we can speak, yes, we can tell a lot of stuff. Do we mean, mean this, this Stalin God, or do we mean this God of Sufi and Meister Eckhart, and God of Willigis? Willigis under the love is God, God is love. What's the story? So, yes, it's for me a big problem. We can, how to speak on about this topic. Sometimes I would like to 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 destroy and I've got uh, but I don't have another um, idea. Yeah, it's so, a good no, no I so I, I, I it's a really good point and it's a point I, I I wrote a book called There Is No God and He Is Always With You because unlike Allah, God <laughs> the English word God needs to take a gender so I decided to just go with the standard gender, although I don't believe God is a man. But the, the, the idea was to try to talk about God in, in Buddhist terms. And of course, sort of pure Buddhism doesn't have an idea of God. So they, they kind of deal with it by just never referring to God. Which, which, the reason I wrote the book is I thought this gave a lot of Western people the mistaken impression that Buddhism was a kind of materialism, you know, that it was, that it was a kind of a, a philosophy that had no spiritual aspect and no, and no idea of God. But I think there is some idea of God. But you're, you're right in that, um, and, and actually we brought this up a little bit this morning, that word that somebody asked to translate, the ineffable. What was the, what was the? What she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that was the, t the word my teacher used for, for God, and it just, it just, because you can't, you can't express anything. Although, although we feel I, I, I think the word God is not such a terrible thing because it, it, does, it does represent something that I believe is, is real. Uh, and, but it's very hard to define. But there is something, I think, within all of us that is, is common. And in, in this moment, it's, it's communicating with itself. Uh, by by becoming 35 people or however, I don't know how many people in this room, in a room and and talking about it. And, and 
I find that when we talk about these subjects, something interesting often happens. Um, one of the reasons I got into what I got into in life was because I remembered when I was a teenager, the few, the rare times I could get somebody to talk about God, you know, or talk about these kind of deeper subjects, I would start to shake like physically, like almost like it was, it was almost uncontrollable. Like I was shivering and like it was very cold. And, and if I get, if the discussion got deep enough, I would just be almost, you know, I would almost have this tremor going, uh, because it seemed, it seemed so meaningful and so powerful. And nowadays I talk about it all the time. So I don't, I don't, I don't shake like that anymore. Not, not very often. Occasionally if, if I get into a really good conversation. Some of the conversations I had with my teachers, I, I did uh, sometimes have that same experience again. But, um, so I think there is something. And, and God is just a kind of conventional name. I don't know, I feel like historically speaking, there's sort of two, very broadly, two kinds of God when you're talking about how that concept originated. You know, first there's the idea of like, we don't know what causes lightning and rain and, and all of this stuff. Uh, so we kind of invent an idea of some kind of controller thing like us that, that makes it happen. And we say God. And, and that's one idea of God. And then there's this other thing that I think also probably happened as early as human beings first existed which is this kind of more mystical experience uh, of, co of connection with the universe. And somehow these two <laughs> ideas got mixed into one idea uh, and then called God or Allah or whatever, you know, the different words for it. Um, but it's, it's um, and, and they're, they're actually, I think, two sort of different ideas, but but they're still, they still move together. And this is why you have authors going, you know, right, like the ones I mentioned who deny that first type of God, that controller of the rain and lightning stuff, God. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> um, in the Quran, it's another saying, at the moment you do a step towards the divine, the divine, does a step towards you. you. You can take it again, like, as you mentioned, stepping towards the control of God, yeah. following some rules, or in another way, to get conscious about your connection or even reconnection to the source. And the more you, you have a consciousness of that, it's like a field opens towards you, like a connection magically or kind of opens towards you that can be in in i experienced it in moments of meditation in moments of dancing climbing a mountain other occasions and sometimes there can be situation this state is prolonged a little bit then it's lost then it appears again So together with it goes also the feeling of trust. Yeah. And also I can say personally, 
often this trust is there. Sometimes I can lose it and I can regain it. But there's a trust into something that holds you. You're part of something that is so amazingly big, but you're not separated from it. You're part of it. Um, there's this famous Hubble telescope <laughs> in Earth orbit. And some years ago, somebody sponsored two weeks to use this Hubble telescope for uh, doing photography of the space with a long, I don't know the English word, Belichtungszeit. Exposure time. Oh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it was two, two weeks of exposure time or something like yeah. this. And when they uh, checked the, the pictures, the result was like uh, our universe has, I don't know how many billions of galaxies. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like we, we, our solar system is part of one galaxy. Our galaxy together with Andromeda galaxy and a couple of others is part of a cluster of galaxies. Then there's nothing in another cluster of galaxies. And we have 30, well, no, a couple of billion, I think they said 30 billion galaxies. <laughs> and for me, it was so, so huge, so unimaginable. Imaginable, unimaginable. But it gave me a feeling of trust. Mm. It gave me a very warm and nice feeling to, wow, I'm part of something so wonderful, unbelievable. Yeah. Did you want, want to say something? Got a question. Sure. If you finished. Sure. Um, so one of the main concepts of is impermanence, yeah. uh, emptiness. So uh, how to integrate God into this concept? Uh, is, is God impermanent too? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's a good question because there is, there's also a parallel idea within Buddhism of something uh, eternal. And so if you, if you look at what <clears throat> a lot of the Buddhists have said, there's, a <clears throat> there's this idea of emptiness and, and impermanence. Impermanence and emptiness are slightly different ideas, I think. Uh, and impermanence is, is everything that we kind of experience in a day-to-day -day life is impermanent in, in the sense that it's constantly changing. So everything is, everything is changing. I'm not the same person who walked in that door 10 minutes ago or whenever it was. Um, in a real sense, it's, it's something different sitting here. Uh, but in a, you know, in a longer sense, eventually I die and then you know, I'm, I'm not around anymore. There's no Brad Warner anymore. Um, but at the same time, everything that, that, that is right now, Brad Warner, uh, it doesn't go away. Nothing, there's nothing you can do uh, to, to this to make it completely disappear from the universe. I mean, you can, you can burn me up or shoot me with a phaser from, from Star Trek and then it would all disintegrate, but disintegrate means it just comes apart, you know, but everything, that's, everything that was there, it, it, has to, it has to go somewhere. So in, in a sense, you have that permanence even within science. So, so the scientific point of view is that nothing has ever left the universe because there's nowhere for it to go. 
and it just it just changes its form. So here we are sitting here now, but everything that's sitting here now as me and you has been here for billions of years. Not maybe not here, but it's been it's it's been around. And another idea that is within Buddhism is that I don't like the word consciousness very much because people tend to think of it as something that exists separately, like there's, there's consciousness. So I think consciousness is also, what we experience as consciousness is also as much a part of that as anything else, as, as matter and energy and gravity and, and all of that. I think this, this, this mysterious force that knows, that, that has a, a, a real experience uh, is, is also part of that. And so the, the permanent side of it, the side of it that is eternal, uh, is also identified in Buddhism as the present moment. So the present moment is eternal in the sense that it's always now. <laughs> you know, it, it's never uh, not now. <laughs> uh, so now is when things happen. And you can kind of look at time as a line uh, from past to present to future, but that's a bit of an illusion that your brain is projecting on reality. But your, your brain is kind of constructed so it can't see it any other way. You know, so you have to say, that happened yesterday, this happened today, and, and so forth. Um, but, but it's always now, in this, in this present moment and being, and all of time are, are, are simultaneous and eternal. Uh, Dogen says something about, can, can we imagine that any time has ever leaked away from the present moment? I don't know if that's a strange phrase to use, but leaked away, like, you know. Uh, and, and, I, and I would say it, it, it hasn't leaked away, you know. Has any time leaked away from, so leak is like a, um, the image is like a, 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 a cup with a, with a hole in it. Yeah, or WikiLeaks, yeah. But like a cup with a hole in it and all the water comes out, you know. And he, and he says time doesn't leak away from the present moment. It's always the present moment. And did he believe in God? Dogen, did Dogen believe in God? He, he was not familiar with ideas from Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, so he was v vaguely familiar with ideas from Hinduism, uh, but mostly he understood Buddhism. It's because in Japan and China in those days there was really no understanding of that because it hadn't, the idea had not arrived. I, I would say, though, there are parts of Dogen's work, when you read them, I can't read them any other way than as being referring to something like God. And my favorite example of this is a, a chapter called Inmo in Japanese, which it's not even a Japanese word, it's a Chinese word pronounced the way a Japanese person would. But Inmo is, my, my teacher translated as it. So it's like one of those words, I think you have the same kind of words in, in Yid, right, in German, right? Um, 
it, it, so it's just something you you can't name and you just say it's it you know that it um, and he talks about this nameless something in such a way that it sounds to me like he's describing God the way uh, the way a Christian a con contemplative a mystical Christian might describe God and probably the same way a Sufi master might describe God as something we can't describe but it's and we know it exists and and we can feel that it exists uh, so so I would say yes <laughs> with a question mark just the expression to believe in God means that you don't know yeah I guess so <laughs> the question to be did you know God so yeah if you have to believe in something you have to fear it well, you mentioned you mentioned trust before, and my understanding of of the word trust or the word belief, um, faith, is the word. Sometimes they use it interchangeably, faith and belief. But apparently, the early Christians, the word the word they use that we translate as faith means more like trust. Like so, they trusted that they trusted God rather than sort of believed in Him in an abstract form. So there is uh, at the moment uh, an actual book, Homo Deus. I don't know if you know. Oh yes, I think I, I read the first uh, Homo uh, Sapiens, right? It, yeah, yeah. But the, the, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the, the Israeli the, writer. I'm, it's a Israeli guy. I think. Yeah, I think. Okay. And it says, um, yeah, it's it's just a question of uh, of an algorithm. So Google or Facebook uh, will be the new god because oh, no. <laughs> everything is. Uh, uh, measurable, yeah, and and uh, it's it's about statistic, and it's it's a new god which says that human beings will be their own gods. Hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. <coughs> what do you think? It's too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I, read, I read the book, I think it's the same author we're talking about. He has a book called Sapiens. Yeah, right. And, uh, and it's about, and I, I liked it a lot. It was about the human, um, how humans developed and stuff. I don't know. Uh, um, you know, I'm a big fan of science fiction, and that's a common... Actually, Gene Roddenberry, who, mm. who came up with Star Trek, was he kept trying and, uh, and failing to put a certain idea into Star Trek in which they would encounter God as a kind of machine, like a super machine that had been created by some alien race, but was so powerful that it seemed to be God. And they never, they never quite... <laughs> did that. Uh, as, as a Star Trek fan, the, the closest they came was Star Trek V of the movies, and it's terrible. <laughs> but I actually like it, but it's, but it's terrible. The one William Shatner directed. and It was on this, they went far away to find God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's like Spock's brother or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad one. <laughs> there was a question. No, it's not a question. I'd, I'd like to uh, throw another aspect to the ring. Um, 
which is maybe not so complicated as algorithms. <laughs> um, uh, Buddhism has also has the concept of uh, non-dualism, mm. and um, Abrahamic religions have the have the, uh, the concept of oneness. God is oneness. God is the one, mm -hmm. or not the one as a person, not the one person, but God is yeah the oneness. I, I can't. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this strikes to me as um, uh, as one point that both try to, to seek, we try to meditate and experience non-dualism and um, not know or not uh, believe in non-dualism but experience it and maybe this is uh, the same that Sufis or mystical abrogative traditions also do to experience the oneness to experience the non-dualism of this world. There is no separation between you and God. It's, it's a possible way to put it in words. Like in Sufism, there's really the concept of Tawhid, mm -hmm. unity, yeah. unity of existence. Mm -hmm. So as you do Tasawuf, mm -hmm. you go into emptiness. It's like one possi possibility of meditation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do other forms of meditation which entails chanting or, or dancing. To, to lower the 1,000 private radio stations in your brain. <laughs> That's, um, so to take the volume down, 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 <laughs> until there's some quietness. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can get to this experience of Tawhid. It's maybe, we have one style of meditation, a standing meditation. It looks a bit Chinese, so it's a source of discussion. We're standing in this position, we call it in Arabic Alif, like the first letter of the Arabic alphabet. In the beginning, it's a bit hard to stand like this, the shoulders hurt. And when you start doing it, mostly you think like, oh, oh why am I doing it? When will it finish? I need to go to the toilet. What will I have for dinner? Sounds like Zaza. And it's a little bit like snowflakes. You're there and the thoughts are coming like snowflakes. And you let them go. Yeah, you accept yeah. them and let them, they melt. And at some point, it's like you might have experienced, you look out in the winter out of a window and you have snowflakes coming, and there's a hole suddenly, like a gap. And it's similar. You're standing there and long time, just snowflakes coming and going. And suddenly, maybe for a fraction of a second, it's nothing, quietness. Then you practice more, and the shoulders hurt, and then they hurt less, and then suddenly a bigger gap. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a practical approach towards Tawhid. There, there's also another word in Arabic language, fana, effacement, mm -hmm. auflösen, okay. to, yeah, to dissolve yourself. Yeah. And fi finally, it's, uh, you practice fana Allah to dissolve yourself into the divine. So I think that's, that's the point you mentioned. And in Judaism, especially in really mystic Hasidic tradition, you, you have it also. And, and the Jewish prayer, the, the main prayer, it's Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. It's like, it says it. Yeah. God is unique, God is one. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Some, ah, yeah, something curious. Mm -hmm. I have a good friend in Japan, Nishin Toda. He 
He's the head of a Buddhist monastery in Chibaken. Okay. It's a Nichiren temple. Okay. <coughs> so it's the Namu Renge-kyo yeah, yeah. thing. He's a really good friend. Like since many years, he came over here. We exchanged ideas, visits, and he talks sometimes about God. Clearly, he uses he uses different words. Sometimes he uses the kamika. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the English word God. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he says Allah, Allah. Yeah, yeah. But it seems for him it's clear clear the concept of God exists. So yeah, I can see also in Buddhism, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's somehow there. Yeah, it, it it does it does exist in the in the deeper parts. I, I think I think a lot of the, the way Buddhism has been presented in the West has been not not so great. But of course, we're just learning about it. You know, really, uh, even a hundred years ago, hardly anyone in this part of the world ever knew anything. You know, barely knew. That Buddhism existed, mm -hmm. um, and now and now there are uh, temples and, and monasteries and all sorts of things. Uh, so it's really it's it, we're very very much in the early days. But yeah, that that um, that word kami that you brought up in 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 ja in Japanese in Japan there is a. I don't know if you can even call it a religion. Uh, Shinto it, it exists, and Shinto is, you know, almost similar to like the ancient Greek or Roman religions, where you have a a god of this and a god of that, you know, god of rain and god of war and a god of, you know, whatever, um, and they call those kami, and then they use the word kami-sama mm -hmm. to to mean uh, god, and sama is just putting like. An honorific, so it's like saying Mr. Mr. God. <laughs> so, but Sama is it's hard to translate because it's very it's very formal. It's polite, very formal, yeah. Extremely yeah. So calling Kami Sama. So I think I think we're getting to something. I, I think human beings are kind of a weird animal uh, because we we have this. Brain. It's like the video I was showing to the group this morning of Nishijima Roshi saying something I'd forgotten that he says, he used to say sometimes, now he's passed away, but he would say, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we have these big brains. <laughs> and in a way, that's our, that's our curse, is to, is to be able to think too much. You know, in, in, in terms of evolution, it's the reason we were able to survive on the African plains because we were cleverer than other animals, because we don't have anything else, you know. Uh, if, we're, if we're attacked or something, the only, by a lion or, or something, the only thing we have uh, in our, to our advantage is, is being... Uh, more clever and, and more able to cooperate uh, with a larger group. I, I saw some, I oh, wish I could remember the exact statistics, but I saw some studies that they were, 
they were kind of looking at that phenomenon. Like human beings can cooperate in huge numbers. You know, in millions of human beings can literally co uh, cooperate in a single project. You know, like the internet or something like that. Uh, and and they were asking these scientists, well, what about our what about other animals? How large of a group and how long of a time can they cooperate? And they did some experiments, I think, with chimpanzees and things. And uh, and it's it's far less. You know, you can get like five chimpanzees to cooperate on a project for about ten minutes or something like that. It was it was really exponentially less than human beings. Uh, so. I, I think that's very interesting, and I think one of the projects we're cooperating on is this: is trying to find out God, you know, and and, and we're. I think we are in the early days of this project, if you want to call it that, because we had separate groups. You had the Islamic group here, and the Christians here, and the Buddhists here, and the Jews over there, and all these other people and religions. We even sometimes forget about uh, that have either disappeared or so small that we don't really think about them. You know, in Africa, there's all sorts of religions hardly any of us in the West uh, are aware of. But now all these, all these approaches to God are starting to be able to communicate with each other. And, and I wonder, I don't know the answer, but I wonder if, if that will be able to kind of break into this I'm very, I'm very interested in, in how these things, because as somebody said, I think in, in one sense the religions are all very uh, similar, but somebody wrote a book called, and I haven't read the book, but I read the review of the book, <laughs> called God is Not One. And, um, and, and the idea was, yeah, everybody loves to say that all religions are the same, but look at this, you know, there's a lot of differences. There's, there's, and, and I remember the piece I read was saying, oh God, it was something Christians sort of take for granted. Uh, I think it was the concept of salvation. And if you, try to, if you try to apply that to Buddhism, you can't say, there's no such thing as salvation. It's a huge thing in Christianity is salvation, you'll be saved. And there's nothing comparable in Buddhism. That was just one example of how the religions differ. Um, uh, you said for a lot of similarity, what would be the difference between the... You want to ask me or...? Yeah, yeah, what, I, I, yeah I've talked for a bunch now, <laughs> so what, what would be the differences that you, you see? I'm, I'm thinking about that. Maybe on a, on a surface it could be that in Sufism the divine is more personal, like, I can practice and have tears of, of love to the divine. Maybe. And maybe it's less personal than the Zazen, but maybe. I say very maybe, because if you go deep. That's true. I mean, it, I think it might be just more of an example of a different temperament of person. Maybe. Because I, I'm not really uh, just person. I, I think one of the reasons I was attracted to Zen Buddhism is I'm not really comfortable with the word love. You know, when, uh -huh. when people start talking about love, I'm like, hey. <laughs> you know, so so I, I prefer a God that that has less of that sort of thing. But you're you're right. When you come down to it, it's kind of it's still there. 
I think in the future what is interesting, what started already now, people do practice in their different religions and spiritual traditions. The practice look, practices look different, but at a certain point they seem to leave, lead to a similar experience. And I, I met people like from uh, Reformierte Schweizer Kirche, Reformed Swiss Church, mm -hmm. Jesuits, Tibetan Buddhists, Indio people from the Amazon, and with some of them I could share a space. Yeah. So I, the practice leads to something, and I personally I talk very little in my classes. People training with us know it. I'm very lazy to say anything. We practice and practice and practice. And then people ask questions and I... <laughs> and then I can find something. But the, the practice opens a space, opens a, a joint space, a, a very human space, something that, that we can share. doesn't matter which name. Uh, is it Allah, God, uh, no God? At the end, I, I don't care much. I have a very good friend in Japan, he's a Shinto priest, Kamata Toji. And sometimes we joked, he would say, yeah, in Shintoism we have millions of gods. You know, every rock, every tree is, yeah. is a god. And I said, yeah, we have only one. <laughs> <laughs> so they win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so many gods. Uh, if you go into the practice, you go beyond it. Maybe you can find something which is trust. I find it sometimes, and sometimes I lose it. It's human. But there is something deep in the practice you can find, and that's beyond words, beyond name, beyond category. There's a meditation we, we use. We turn our head to the right, and we say that represents the future. Everything what is coming to be for us. We turn to the left, that's the past. Our ancestors, everything that was given to us. We look up, it's the spiritual world, the religious world. We look down, it's the material world, the, material, the daily needs. And we go back to the center, no future, no past. No spiritual, no material, just the center without name. Mm. That's a good one. Whom you are asking? <laughs> <laughs> Both of us. I can't. Huh? <laughs> good, uh, good, or that that could be the start of a long talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it very simple. If, if somebody... Please come close. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he puts a gun on my head. Just, so <laughs> he, he wants to shoot me. It's clear, it's not good. <laughs> huh? And I'm not interested to let him shoot me. So I will react to save myself. If he is shooting, uh, trying to shoot any one of you and I can act, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. It's bad. 
concentration camps are bad. No philosophy about it. It's outright bad. Torture is bad. Uh, some political leaders in somewhere in the world are bad. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple. That's it. My question goes in the direction to uh, be guilty. To be guilty. I, I'm a Christian. I'm a socialist, but I, I can see here in mm -hmm. Germany. And um, normally, uh, the Christian church uh, that be guilty. To be guilty is a great topic. Mm -hmm. And uh, to handle this guilty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the good or the bad things in the inside of us. That's the point in, in our, in our uh, I feel it is a very problematic concept, yes. this, this concept of guilt. Really, because it puts a burden on people. Huh? It puts a very strong burden on people. Mm -hmm. And it can be misused to maintain power structures. So that's why I'm angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's. It, it, there's a famous Buddhist poem called uh, Shinjin Mei, which is. It, uh, I hate all the translations they do of the title, but it's uh, Shinjin Mei. Um, anyway, <laughs> I've forgotten what the. Faith Mind Inscription is usually the translation, or that's one of the normal ones. It doesn't mean anything. But the first line is pretty famous, and it says something like, uh, the Buddha way is very easy to follow, just, uh, just avoid uh, good and bad, just avoid mm -hmm. right and wrong, or just avoid love and hate. Um, there are different ways to, to translate it. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of going into a, an area of, of preference. You know, there is something going on and we either like what's happening or we don't like what's happening. And so there is, there is good and you can say there is uh, right action and there is action that's not right. We, you know, the concentration camps and all these other things would be examples of not right action. Uh, but in, in a kind of moment-to-moment -moment sense, there's only this going on. You know, whatever it is, and you either uh, like it or don't like it. Uh, guilt is one of those things that um, kind of, it's sort of pointless. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's good to remember that you did something wrong in the past so that you don't repeat that action again. But after you after you got that, then you know it doesn't. There's no there's no point in in in, uh, in really going any further than that. You 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 recognize that you did something that you shouldn't have done, and you don't do it anymore. Or or you go to the person you did it to and say you're sorry or something. Sometimes actually that makes it worse. So you know you have to always watch. Uh, but. Uh, but you know what I mean. You you just do you do something now, and that's all you can do. So the the, the idea of, of guilt, and I, and I heard you say like heaven and, and hell. That's that's another one of those uh, ideas. You know, if you go into classical Buddhist cosmology, there are 
there's not just one hell and one heaven, there's like thousands of hells and thousands of heavens, you know, if you go into the literature. And we, you know, we travel through these hells and heavens. But my teacher used to always say, well, that's just, you're just describing a psychological condition, really. Uh, you know, sometimes you're in hell and sometimes you're in, in heaven and, and sometimes you're, you're just here. <laughs> uh, I tend to prefer just here. I mean, those, the, you know, those times that are really, really good are, are nice and those times that are really, really bad are not nice. I think too many people spend their whole lives trying to get from the, you know, trying to get to one or the other. <laughs> they think that's the way to live, but I'd prefer to kind of try to steer in the middle between not too good and not too bad. <laughs> okay, that was my conversation with Ingo Taleb Rashid, and I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to support this podcast, once again, you can go to the URL hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main means of support, and I really appreciate your support. But as I said right at the beginning, this was offered for free, so you don't got to support me if you don't want to support me. We'll see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.